Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAM Rams. I'm here with Dr. David Brown, Chair of Emergency Medicine for Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Brown is considered one of the fathers of emergency medicine. Dr. Brown is a respected researcher focusing on cardiovascular emergencies and helped to build the emergency medicine residency at Mass General and Brigham and Women's Hospitals. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for coming and being willing to talk with us today. Thank you for including me. Um, let's get started with some of the questions that the residents have picked out for you. Um, starting with, what do you think is the greatest challenge in delivering emergency medicine care today? That's a terrific question to start with. There are a number of challenges, including the increasingly broad uh, treatment options that we have to learn about and provide for our patients, and challenges in uh, managing patients through longer periods of time. Uh, whether that's through observation or short stay units. But I think most of my colleagues would agree that the biggest challenge in providing emergency care today is crowding, uh, specifically hospital crowding. It is often called ED crowding, but the ED is simply where the crowding occurs, but it's a hospital problem that results in the emergency department. And hospital crowding leads to overcrowded emergency departments and patients who need admission end up boarding in rooms and hallways of emergency departments. They get uh, insufficient care and it makes it very hard to take care of the new patients that come through the emergency department. So crowding I think is the biggest challenge. Uh, I think it threatens quality and safety of patient care. It definitely challenges provider satisfaction. Uh, It's uh, the biggest thing that my colleagues, my faculty, residents and friends at other institutions worry about, complain about, or concerned about. I believe it definitely contributes to the high levels of burnout we see in our specialty. And it's something that needs hospital engagement to fix. It can't be fixed by uh, those of us within the ED. And I think that makes it particularly challenging because you not only have a problem in the ED or that manifests itself in the ED, but the solutions are not within a department chair's complete control. This is certainly an issue that we've seen across the country and has come up several times over the course of the last few days. What are some of the solutions that you foresee to this issue? I'm not surprised it's come up in your conversations with other department heads. Solutions are diverse, but the first is to get your hospital leadership to understand that you're dealing with a hospital problem. If you can't get that message across, you can't possibly attack this. Uh, So once you have hospital buy-in that this is a hospital issue, you can start to think about programs that are interdisciplinary and interdepartmental that can not only speed the efficiency of care in the ED, which is always the first step that we have to do, right? We have to make sure we're doing things as efficiently and as quickly, carefully as possible, but that more importantly lead to more access to inpatient beds for our patients, whether that's smoothing surgical schedules, uh, whether it's uh, providing uh, uh, you know, electronic pass-offs for patients moving out of the ED, whether it's you know, increasingly uh, setting up resources to take care of patients outside the hospital, or at least outside of the large tertiary care hospital, which is almost always the most crowded in any healthcare system, that will depend on the individual hospital and where they see their their challenges might best be addressed. Um, But the first step is engaging hospital leadership. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, you oversee a broad array of services across different practice settings, and it seems that many academic institutions are moving toward a systems model where different hospitals and clinics are integrated and linked under one system. How does this impact medical education, and should residents expect to train in many different settings? Yeah, another really terrific question. I spent some time thinking about this. There has been an enormous movement over the last, let's say, 15 years uh, towards consolidation and integration of healthcare delivery systems. And it's rare now to find a solitary hospital or, for that matter, a solitary physician practice someplace doing things the way they used to 20 plus years ago. And the impetus for consolidation has been around uh, trying to manage populations of patients uh, rather than trying just to manage episodes of disease and to provide more value-based care. So value-based care, value is uh, the product of cost times quality and uh, hospitals when they come together can become more efficient. Uh, one of the buzzwords you hear is getting the right place, patient to the right place at the right time and that's not always at the tertiary care center. Uh, so in terms of how that impacts medical education, uh, I think it's really important for residents to have the chance to train not just in tertiary care emergency departments, uh, I think that goes without saying, that has to be part of their training, and not just in community-based emergency departments where resources are different, I think that also has to be part of training. But we need to extend training into observation units observation unit, rather observation medicine is clearly now within the bailiwick of emergency medicine and it's important for every resident to have an experience in observation medicine so that when he or she is practicing, uh, he or she is ready to manage observation care over you know, 4 to 24 hours, not just the, the ED portion of the stay. So that would be one example. I think residents should also be given experiences in urgent care centers. Um, even if most of the care provided in low acuity urgent care centers is going to be by advanced practice providers, we, emergency medicine specialists, will supervise those advanced practice providers, perhaps at a remote distance, perhaps side by side, but regardless, I think our residents need some experience in urgent care since that's been another uh, important uh, innovation in healthcare delivery for low acuity uh, patient care during episodic illness and injury. What are your thoughts on physician performance metrics and pay-for-performance models, and how should residents take this into account when they're looking for jobs after residency? Yeah, uh, well, with the advent of extensive system-wide EHRs and the continued emphasis on what I'm calling value-based care, uh, we have both the impetus and the opportunity to measure an extraordinary number of metrics uh, across the spectrum of care delivery. So I think that's really here to stay. Uh, I think the important thing for our specialty is to be part of the dialogue, defining what it is we're measuring, making sure that those metrics are actionable. First of all, the emergency physician is responsible for the metric rather than the system being responsible for the metric and that those measures be actionable. Um, you know, in some cases, it really makes good sense to measure uh, performance, whether it's in efficiency or in the use of high-cost imaging or in uh, disposition decisions across the spectrum of observation versus admission versus home hospital versus some other alternative site. Uh, th those things make sense because we need to better understand the variability of our own practice and try to 
uh, where possible, limit variability, especially as it relates to things that are evidence-based. Um, a good example perhaps might be uh, the role of CT scanning in suspected pulmonary embolism. There's a really well-validated clinical algorithm, and it, it makes sense that we would all follow it, uh, but I can just give you an example in my own department when we started looking at how closely we followed this. We found uh, high variability and opportunity for improvement. So I think these, these um, performance metrics are here to stay and I think we have to harness them and use them for our own purposes. And we have to pick things again that are actionable. Mm -hmm. In terms of pay for, pay for performance, I think that's just an extension of the ability to measure things. Um, as it relates to, to residents looking for jobs, uh, I think the issue here is to recognize that this is part of the landscape now. To, to learn as much as you can about it during residency and to um, commit to being part of the dialogue so that we don't have metrics uh, imposed upon us, but that we collectively decide what are the important metrics in emergency medicine. Excellent. Thank you so much. Are there any other um, major topics that you feel are coming in the administrative realm of emergency medicine that our residents and medical students should be aware of? Well, I think we're increasingly seeing emergency physician leaders being tapped for systems leadership positions. And, you know, that would have been unheard of 25 or 30 years ago. And now it has become the norm. And it really does make sense to me. Uh, you know, we sit at the interface of almost every other specialty. I can't really think of, think of a specialty in the House of Medicine that we don't interface with, that we don't have some understanding of. You know, even pathology, they deliver our labs uh, and um, have a key role in how we, you know, make decisions about patient care and patient disposition. Um, so uh, I see an increasing number of my colleagues being asked and being interested in taking on more system-wide roles. And I think that our residents should be thinking about that as they come through training. What is it they want out of their career? Uh, if they're interested in leadership, how do they position themselves for a career that includes leadership, what can they do during residency to gain experience uh, in those areas so that as their career moves along, they're positioned nicely to be ready for those types of opportunities when they come along. Speaking of um, different career paths in the administrative realm, there are a lot of different paths into an administrative career, and especially for young residents, this can be confusing and difficult to navigate. Uh, residents could pursue an administrative fellowship. Obviously, there are additional degrees, such as an MBA, or simply on-the-job training and experience. Could you um, speak to your perspective on this? and what are some of the pros and cons of each of these options? Sure, uh, this is an area that's evolved a lot during the course of my now what, 26 year career. I learned all of my leadership on the job. Uh, there were no administrative or operations based fellowships. It was very unusual for a physician to earn an MBA as part of um, a medical school program uh, when I went to medical school. Um, but that landscape has really evolved. Um, as I said before, the complexities of integrated healthcare systems and the opportunity for emergency medicine to take a leadership role uh, has um, created, I think, really the impetus to develop these um, additional training opportunities. You know, when fellowships arise, they, they don't arise because the department needs them. 
right? The department has to stand them up and staff them, create a curriculum, and make sure it's a good experience for the trainee. They, they arise out of the, the needs or the demands of the, the potential trainees. So I think that the evolution's been a good thing. It's been a response to the needs of our, of our residents and younger attending physicians. The decision uh, to pursue advanced training, uh, whether it's in administration and leadership or any other fellowship, is, a, is an important one to consider carefully because, like everything, there are opportunity costs. Right? You're going to devote an additional year or two um, of your life. Um, there'll be costs associated with it, especially if there are advanced degrees, although many, I think most of the administrative fellowships build in the costs of the fellowship um, so that that's not something that the uh, fellow will bear. But it's still a big commitment. And I'm a big fan of getting mentor training, whatever it is that you're most interested in as you prepare for a long and vibrant and engaged career. But the decision shouldn't be made, made lightly. It's not the default pathway for someone who isn't quite sure what they want to do. Uh, but I think that it is a great opportunity to develop a set of skills that make one valuable uh, for that position in a department that's looking for a new young leader to evolve into a quality and safety director, a clinical director, ultimately perhaps a vice chair of operations, and and, uh, and sometimes on to department head, depending on the setting. Uh, so, uh, but I think the, the main thing um, here is is to, to make the decision thoughtfully, and then it really comes down to performance. Uh, it doesn't really matter where I went to medical school or trained. It really matters what I've done in the last 25 years. Uh, and I think that that's gonna be true of any uh, resident or fellow or, or young, young attending. Speaking of what you've done, um, what can residents interested in administration do to position themselves for these types of positions, be it a medical director of a department or even ultimately department chair? What are some of the specific things that you're looking for? Well, the first thing we're looking for, I think, is engagement. Um, tell all the residents to sample the many aspects of emergency medicine. The field is much more diverse than any medical student can realize. The opportunities are broader than what most of our resident candidates um, realize, and, and often their focus will switch during residency. So my, my message to folks early in, the, in their career, early in their training, is get involved, get engaged, uh, seek out mentorship, be a good mentee. Right? So you need to find mentorship, but you also need to be a good mentee, an engaged mentee. Find projects that interest you and see them through to completion. Uh, you know, getting things done is a, is a key feature in, uh, in building your uh, marketability, if you will. It's not just having big ideas or good ideas, but also getting things done, seeing things through to completion. You know, when I uh, am looking for folks to hire, I'm often looking at a particular need in the department. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was just looking back and in, in anticipating this question, you know, who were the last five people I hired over the last couple of years? And, and um, <clears throat> initially I would have said, well, you don't need to do a fellowship to get a job in, in our busy academic emergency department. Um, but uh, the facts proved me a little bit wrong there. <laughs> we hired a pediatric emergency medicine specialist, an ultrasound-focused specialist, uh, a quality and safety director who had done a quality and safety fellowship, uh, and a health services researcher. 
So each of those folks had done advanced mentored training. Uh, but, but mostly we're looking for uh, people who are engaged and committed to becoming leaders. So you know, getting back to your question, residents have a great opportunity to get engaged, seek opportunities, specifically as it relates to administration. There are operations committees and quality assurance committees in the department that, are, that would welcome, I'm certain, resident engagement, more resident engagement. There are often hospital and healthcare system committees for people interested in healthcare system leadership, uh, and there are opportunities to get engaged there, and there are opportunities to get engaged at the medical school as well. So get engaged early, see projects through to completion, uh, seek mentorship, be a good mentee. Excellent. And you've already touched on our next question, um, which was, what would you look for in a new hire? Um, but to branch off on that, do you have any particularly memorable encounters in interviews with either someone who interviewed very well and what were some of those traits or do you have any memorable interviews that went very poorly and what would be some of the traits that you could recommend that our medical students and residents avoid? You're talking now about interviewing for a faculty position. Correct, correct. Yeah. I think the, the key thing there is to be prepared. Um, you have to know a little bit about the department that you're interviewing with. You have to understand what it is the that is the what are the priorities of that department because not every academic department is going to focus on the same things. In fact, uh, although all will have operations and quality and safety and residency training, the focuses across the spectrum of what is emergency medicine today may be quite different. So be prepared. Know who you're going to speak with, um, and uh, the main thing I would say is spend some time figuring out what it is that you're passionate about and what it is that you want out of your career. Because the goal isn't to fit yourself to the job, it's, the fi it's to find the job that allows you to um, you know, fulfill your goals and, and explore your passions. You're gonna have to come to work every day. So I, I tell our residents to spend time figuring out what it is they wanna do and not what they think I want them to do or their residency director wants them to do or their parents want them to do. You know, uh, one of my colleagues said at a, we did a job fair uh, for our residents a number of years ago, and along the lines of encouraging the senior residents to really focus on what it is they wanted and not worry so much about what they thought other people might want for them, uh, this faculty member said to the group, you know, when you're gone, we'll think of you, but not that often. And everybody laughed, and um, it is funny, but, but it's also true, right? Our focus is on the next group of residents that comes in to replace that group that graduates. And while, of course, we remain engaged and connected to our graduates, uh, we're you know, less uh, involved in the day-to-day -day experiences of their lives mm -hmm. after that. And it's important that each resident find his or her own passion and make sure they find a career that allows them as much time to explore that passion as possible. It's hard enough to be a healthcare practitioner and an emergency physician. Um, but it's a lot harder if you choose a job that doesn't give you the, the opportunities to explore your own passions, whatever they are. Excellent. Um, any other advice in closing that you would like to offer to our resident and medical student listeners? I think it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. Um, residency is a lot more than just coming into your rotation and doing your shifts and assembling the body of knowledge you need to be a good emergency physician. Uh, residency is also about exploring, getting engaged, 
uh, finding your passion, uh, building your other skills, leadership, team building, communication skills. So make sure that you take advantage of all the opportunities in residency, not just the ones that occur you know, during your clinical shift uh, at the bedside with patients. And then at the end of residency, just make sure you pursue your own passion. It's your life, you get to live it. It's not up to somebody else what it is that will make you the most happy. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for coming and talking to us. I know that I've taken a lot out of this and I really appreciate what you had to say and I'm sure the rest of our resident and medical student listeners did as well. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm happy to be part of this.